is a beginning point. It's the beginning of the rest of my life. I got the meaning, and I got to write it down, because I don't want to forget it. Just win, baby. back to the gold jacket podcast with me one of your hosts gymnastic and as always because i'm sometimes not here like last week our other host connor donald man connor how you doing uh i'm I'm doing great jim man we we missed you last week man ellis tried to rock the beard he made reference to you a number of times don't worry it was as if you were here but you weren't here so (laughs) we we just didn't get your your takes on the situation there but we tried to do you do you well last week, but uh, we get we get the takes this week. We get the opinions and and we get the old gymnastic sense of humor back this week. And uh, we are a proud member of the True North Fantasy Football Network. And uh, you can find them on Twitter at True North FFB, on YouTube TNFF Network, and on the internet at TrueNorthFFB.com. There's a ton of stuff going on this off season. New website launching. Plus, we just launched an Instagram page, which I think is True North FFB as well. If you want to hit to follow that, I'm gonna have to add that to the growing list of the network that we have. And this week we have a fellow True North Fantasy Football content creator. He has his own YouTube channel called Coach Craig Sports, where he talks everything NFL and NBA. He also asked to come on because he's a resident woeful Houston Texans fan. So he had to come talk AFC South with us. That is Craig at Coach Craig Sport on Twitter. What's up, Craig? I'm doing pretty good. And yeah, definitely had to come off for AFC South. I think it's a Interesting division, even if uh, Texans are kind of lackluster right now. Yeah, definitely. It's, it is a division that is definitely in flux, whether you want to talk about Carson Wentz, whether you want to talk about Deshaun Watson, whether you want to talk about Trevor Lawrence. That's that's just a quarterback room. We haven't even started to dive into, you know, Tebow mania, um, among many other things. So let's get into it because I know there is so much <laughs> to talk about. We're going to start with the quarterbacks and – I, I'm, we're going to lead off with the Texans in each category as much as it's going to pain us. We didn't bring Craig on for no reason, so we'll let them be first place for this <laughs> show and this show only. Um, so we'll start with the quarterback situation, the Texans. I mean, let's assume Deshaun Watson's not playing another snap with the Texans because I think it's pretty clear that that is where this is going, whether he settles his case or not. He reported to camp. The trade, the trade request stays. Um, so, does Tyrod Taylor intrigue you guys at all in fantasy? And if not, does anybody else intrigue you? Say maybe Davis Mills, or are we just straight up avoiding the Houston Texans as quarterback for fantasy? We'll start with you, Craig. Yeah, I think Tyrod's just pretty much a QB three and super flex right now. Somebody that you can plug and play. He's not going to win you a week. He's not going to lose you a week. When he comes in, I have no interest at all in Davis Mills. He had the least career starts of any quarterback in this year's draft class at 11. The only thing he has to his name is he was the number one quarterback coming out of high school ahead of Tua. That's it. If you watch him play at Stanford, really slow processor, not that great of arm strength. There's just a lot of flaws to his game. Kind of reminds me of A.J. McCarron 
coming out of college, but doesn't really have that much experience. And we just cut AJ McCarron. So why take another version of him in the third round? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. And if your team's going to be as bad as it's going to be, you're probably going to end up with one of the top three picks where you're just going to take a quarterback anyways, whether it's Spencer Rattler, Sam Howe, or somebody else that breaks onto the scene this year. So seems like a wasted pick. I think he's actually going to start the year probably on the depth chart as the third string quarterback behind even Jeff Driscoll is what I would expect since Driscoll at least has that NFL experience as well. I feel like the Trubisky career arc is being extremely generous because yeah. I don't think he gets three years of starting experience. So he'd be lucky to get three games. But what about you, Jim, for the Texas um, quarterbacks? Listen, I'm, in, I'm intrigued a little bit about Tyrod. I got him on a few super flex teams, um, you know, as my QB4, QB5. Uh, with this news right now, though, I am like trying to still flip him. Uh, I was trying to earlier in the offseason, but with him actually coming back, maybe looking like he might play, but not for the Texans. Hype's getting back up with him. So, like, again, if I can get a second, oh, I'm smashing. If I can even maybe get, like, a third for him in Superflex, I'd probably take it because the odds of him actually playing this year, slim to none. And if he does, are you really going to be relying on him to plug him in your lineup? No, probably not. Um so no, I'm not. I'm not really interested in acquiring them, but I'm definitely interested right now with the hype to try to dump them for maybe, like I said, a third I would take, a second I would smash. Yeah, no, I I, I kind of like. It. I mean, you never know what you might be able to get, especially in super flex leagues, especially if you know, if at all even gets to start at all before you know maybe a punctured lung or something. You just never know. Um, but. Uh, I think that's all we really need to say about the Houston Texans quarterback room. We'll move on to the Indianapolis Colts, a little slightly more intriguing. So Phillip Rivers is out, and the Colts have acquired Carson Wentz from the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, reuniting with his former offensive coordinator, Frank Reich. Wentz had a major down year last season. Do you think that he may bounce back this season behind the offensive line that's in Indian, a reunion with Frank Reich? And... Uh, I mean, when you look at it, Wentz does have an unproven wide receiving room outside of T.Y. Hilton, fairly well-established running back room, which is good, and decent tight ends, and we know that he loves his tight ends. We'll start with you, Jim. What is your overall opinion on Carson Wentz uh, in in uh, fantasy and dynasty and in his new situation in Indy? Uh, I'm really, I'm really interested to see what, what he can do because he's got a really good offensive line right now. He's got really good run game, which we'll talk about in a, in a little bit. Um, he's got another like people keep discounting Ty Hilton, but like he's a veteran. He knows what he's doing. He can give you that option. I'm, I like, and I seem to be a lot higher on um, Michael Pittman than, than most seem to be. I like him. I think he can be the man. And we'll see what Paris Campbell can do. Again, they're hyping him up. I saw Chris Ballard talking about it, uh, saying Marlon Mack and Paris Campbell are going to be a full go. We'll see, right? Like, I mean, he's only ever played nine games in two years, but like he's like Carson Wentz has a, a pretty good wide receiver core on paper here and a top offensive line. So if he can't do it, and again, interesting options with with the tight ends, right? You got you got a big man in Mo Alley Cox in the red zone. Uh you got Kylan Granson, who's uh, really a dynasty darling sleeper, late end tight end that, that people are liking, myself included. Uh, just there's a lot of opportunity opportunities um, in the wide receiver room, tight end room for him. And the guy that's going to be throwing the ball is Carson Wentz. So 
He's really cheap right now, so I'd be I'd be grabbing him. People still have that stink on him from Philly. Sorry, car. Um, sorry, <laughs> sorry, buddy. But um, you know, they, he still got that Philly stink on him that that people don't want. But you know, behind a top offensive line where he isn't chucking the ball every two seconds for his life, where people are coming at him, I'm interested to see what he could do because he was a top prospect coming out. Yeah, um, I'm definitely interested in buying. I'm, I love Wentz. I'm a Wentz truther. I think we let him go fire too soon, and the situation just got ugly in Philadelphia, and that happens. Um, I, I like how you completely just threw Jack Doyle aside like he isn't even <laughs> in the tight end room. A guy who I think was the tight end one on the team six weeks last season. But don't worry, Branson came in. He's a darling. We're good. Um, what, what, about, what about you, Craig? What do you think about Carson Wentz? I think it's really interesting. And, you know, we've seen the good with the Carson Wentz. We've seen the bad. Uh, the best we've seen him has pretty much been with Frank Wright, too. So I think if if he's going to do it anywhere, it's got to be here. And if it's not here, like, he's this close to being a career backup if he can't do it here. I would say the one thing that's a little bit concerning, too, is, you know, they did bring in Eric Fisher to play left tackle, but he's coming off that Achilles. So is he going to be ready to play week one? And if he's not, is that going to be a big hole on the offensive line? Um, and, you know, being that blindside for Carson Wentz, that could be a big deal for him. I think a lot of the problem, too, that you kind of have to look at is Carson Wentz was really trying to hold on to the ball and kind of chuck it, just trying to chuck it deep too often last year too, see if there's a little bit more balance to his game um, and just kind of see how that all works out really because if you can get him back to where he's not looking to throw deep and push the ball down the field all the time and kind of force things, you, you really saw that last year a lot. Is he was just trying to make – too many throws like he's trying to make a Patrick Mahomes play on like every play like he's on the right side of the field trying to throw back across the body to the left side of the field like you can't just do that 10 times a game it's not going to work out too well for you especially when you're Carson Wentz and you're not like a Patrick Mahomes Patrick Mahomes can't even do that 10 times a game even so there's just a lot of concerns there I think that you're going to try to simplify it I think maybe it feels a little bit more comfortable in the Frank Wright's offense too because we did hear some rumors you know coming out last year about the year prior that he was changing some plays at the line of scrimmage because he wasn't agreeing with what Doug Peterson was calling in too. So uh, maybe there's a little bit more trust there than there was last year as well. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully so because Carson Wentz can be head for like, I think last I saw his ADPs right around QB 20. So he can be head for a bargain. He's down, with, down there with Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield. And I think he has far better upside so far proven upside than Derek Carr or Baker Mayfield for fantasy purposes. Um, moving onward to another really intriguing situation, and this is Jacksonville, where apparently uh, we have to start referencing, you know, people talking about shit. <laughs> a reference to uh, how hard they're working to get their uh, to not give up their number one job. Of course, Gardner Minshew will it be Trevor Lawrence. Will it be Gardner Minshew? Minshew isn't giving up his starting job. Uh, Meyer won't announce that the 101 in the 2021 draft will be the starter. Um, but seriously, long term thoughts on Trevor Lawrence for Dynasty Fantasy. I know that there was originally some concerns with Urban Meyer. Do those concerns continue to stick? Um, and concerns with Jacksonville in general. This is a team who was so close to sniffing like the Super Bowl and completely had to blow it up within like a, the year after. So do you trust Jacksonville to continue to build around Trevor Lawrence and to get this thing right? Or what are your thoughts? We'll start with you, Craig. Um, you can start with Minshew if you think you'll be the starter or you can just talk Trevor Lawrence. 
I will say I think the NFL is a more fun place when Gardner Minshew is a starting quarterback in the NFL just because of, you know, all the charisma around him. He's just a special guy, but, you know, he kind of lost his power when he cut his hair. So there is that. <laughs> but Love uh, it. all seriousness is, you know, all seriousness aside, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the starting quarterback there, you know, week one. It's pretty much a guarantee at this point. I think you bring up some interesting points with Jacksonville, too, just because they had a real culture problem down there. It's not really a secret. You know, at one point in time, the complaints for NFL teams to the league's commissioner, you know, to the league office, about half the teams were complaints against Jacksonville. So that kind of says a little bit of something there. I think they're trying to bring in some guys to change the culture, you know, whether it's Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer, some of these other coaches that they brought in as well. Um, so I think it's definitely a good thing. I, I still have some questions, you know, just about Trevor Lawrence's upside overall, how this offense is going to look under Urban Meyer, Daryl Bevel there. Uh, so long-term aspect, I think he'll be all right. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be, you know, your top, you know, five quarterback ever, especially like in dynasty. I think he's a little bit overvalued in redraft this year though. So a little, he's going a little bit higher than I'd like to take him. Cause I think there's some guys that are going behind him that could finish ahead of him as well, but there's some opportunities just kind of depending on how their defense all pans out this year. Cause if he ends up having to throw a bunch, there's definitely some opportunity for fantasy there, but I think their defense is going to be a little bit better than people give them credit for as well. What about you, um, Jim? Are you are you buying into him? I know redraft might be a little high. What about from a strictly dynasty perspective? Well, I, I really Craig Craig hit a lot of points there that I fully agree with. I think he's very overvalued in season long. I don't think he's ever going to see. Uh, the ceiling that you think you're going to get with him while you're drafting him in dynasty, which makes me not want to get him. And I'm afraid like people like we talked about this before, right? The sunken fallacy cost like that. I think that's going to keep his price too high for me for the first couple of years. Um, I really like a couple pieces in this offense that we will get to in the, in the next couple pieces, but I'm not a big fan of Urban Meyer. I really hope I'm wrong about it because I do like, like I said, there's two pieces in this offense that I'm really invested in, and I really hope to God they're it. And I hope I'm wrong about Urban Meyer. But to me, Trevor Lawrence's price is just a little too high. I think it's always going to be too high because, like Coach Craig said there, man, there's guys going after him that I think will outperform him. I like it. Definitely a good opinion. Season-long avoid, but in Dynasty – if you got him in your rookie drafts, good job. If not, he might come at a little bit of an expensive price tag. Finally, we're going to stop in probably the most consistent destination from a quarterback perspective in the division, and that is the Titans. Ryan Tannehill uh, is back and has a renewed wide receiving group. Davis is out. Julio Jones and uh, Ryan Reynolds are in. Tannehill has been the picture of a low-end QB1 consistency since coming to the Titans and uh, getting away from Adam Gaze. Does a renewed focus at the wide receiver position help bump his value at all? Um, one interesting fact that I found, uh, Tannehill's receivers had the second most drops in the NFL last season. So imagine what those could have actually turned into for Ryan Tannehill, who I think finished as a QB9, QB8 or 9. He was right at the tail end of the QB1 uh, area. So we'll start with you, Jim. Thoughts on Ryan Tannehill? I guess... Season long, he's a safe play. What about from a dynasty perspective? He is what thirty-two years old now, which isn't that old. Again, like you know, mm -hmm. people are playing way longer. Look at Tom Brady. Again, not saying he's Tom Brady, like, but <laughs> um, um, 
like what an upgrade for him though, right? I mean, you get rid of Corey Davis, who is susceptible at best, and you bring in Julio Jones, who people were just like kicking under the rug. His 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 price has has gone uh, like smoke just said right there to the moon, like to the moon. Um, so if you have him, great. This is a this is a perfect opportunity where you can flip him for what is perceived as a lower value cost and pick up like a lower end RB, like a Chase Edmonds, say potentially that could gain value. I'm not really high on Chase Edmonds, but like just trying to like pick up a guy real quick. I mean, this is the perfect opportunity because like people think he's going to go from QB eight to like QB six. I don't really see that. You saw a couple injuries to some big name quarterbacks, kind of uh, put put some guys up there a little higher. I'm a little higher on two of the most are. So I think he's going to make a little bit of a push. Um, all this being said, you know what I mean? I don't think he's going to get higher than QB8 for you. So his value, I think, is at a peak right now where people think he might be QB top five QB. I'll tell you, Len, probably fifth. But I don't think he's ever going to be there. It's just the allure of Julio, and I like it. Don't get me wrong. I like Julio. I, it scares me for Derrick Henry a little bit, if anything. What about you, Craig? Yeah, I think it's definitely a boost to uh, Ryan Tannehill bringing in Julio Alves, upgrade over Corey Davis. And you, even like you kind of talked about, Josh Reynolds, he's going to be an upgrade over Adam Humphreys because Adam Humphreys was pretty much a ghost last year with his concussions. Like, I thought he was just going to retire after last year, but that's a whole different story just because he missed so many weeks with those concussions. So you're playing guys like Khalif Raymond and uh, Cameron Batson, who does have a little bit of role as a gadget player in this offense, but – I think definitely some more consistent weapons there. We'll see what kind of impact the loss of Johnny Smith, especially in the red zone, has overall for the team. Um, maybe that opens up some more opportunities. I don't think Derrick Henry can score very many more touchdowns, but maybe that opens up the opportunity for Ryan Tannehill to still maintain you know, like his six touchdowns that he got last year. Perfect. Love it. Some definitely some good points made there. So now we've come to the point where for dynasty purposes, I, you pick your gold QB and you pick your fool's gold QB. And uh, this may be kind of tough because there's only one consistent point of, of all the quarterbacks. But let's start with you, Jim. Give us your gold quarterback that people should be buying and maybe undervaluing. And give us a fool's gold who's probably going to bust his ADP. Um, so my goal is, is Carson Wentz. I think he's in the perfect opportunity to be buying right now where he's going to increase his value. And from a dynasty standpoint, that is exactly what you want to be doing. You want to be guiding these guys on the low. They're going to have a blow up season, which I hope to God he does and increases his value back to what was it? 2017, 2017, yeah, yeah, 20, 2017 the MVP season. Yeah. Right. Like obviously he's not going to reach there, but you want to hit somewhere in between there. Right. So mm-hmm. He's a guy that I'm buying. He's, he's a gold quarterback for me in investment value. Um, my fool's gold, sorry, Smoke, is Trevor Lawrence just because of the cost it's going to get you to get him. Unless you had the 101 in your rookie draft, um, I think the cost is just going to be too much to acquire him, and uh, you're going to be biting yourself for it. What about you, Craig? Gold, fool's gold? Uh, I think the goal for me is going to be just Ryan Tannehill because I think he's the most consistent. You know where you're getting. He's not completely overvalued. He's a little bit more overvalued probably now than he's ever been, especially from a dynasty sense. But in redraft, he's really not overvalued at all. He's just kind of right where he's been. Nobody's really giving him that bump up as much in redraft. But I feel like the price is probably fair. You know, if you have to go out and grab him in dynasty, I don't think it's the worst investment in the world. I think he's you know what you're going to get for the next couple of years with him at least, too, and it's going to be a steady ride. Um, Fool's gold probably looking more like I'm going to kind of agree with Trevor Lawrence, too. I just don't see the incredible upside there that he's ever going to be that top five quarterback 
And I kind of mentioned, I forgot to mention this earlier. I don't think he's going to run as much in the NFL, especially near the goal line as some people like to think, especially, and especially this year, I don't think they're going to run him very much at all just because he's coming off that left shoulder injury as well. So I don't think they want him to throw his body around as much as he did in college. Uh, so quite a different factors there. Uh, maybe my sneaky sleeper pick for uh, gold could be whoever the Texans draft at quarterback next year. Definitely. Yeah, that's definitely a good one because he'll probably be the one-on-one next year in your rookie super flex drafts. Gold for me is Carson Wentz. Same reasons as Jim was pointing out. That is a golden opportunity to blow his value out of the water. Even if he doesn't do that great behind that offensive line, he's got a lot of safety blankets that can at least get him to bordering on a QB1. Um, and my fool's gold, I'm stick, I'm going with you guys. I'm going to go Ryan Tannehill, be, or not Ryan Tannehill, Trevor Lawrence, because he is really expensive. If you're drafting him outside of the rookie drafts, it's going to cost you. And we have to wonder, is he going to be capable of hitting the ceiling? I know that he's been talked about as a generational talent, but it's a pretty lofty ceiling that's being put out in front of him for sure. Um, so moving onward and upward to the second most important position in a super flex league, and that's running backs. Again, we'll start with the Houston Texans. Um, I quite simply started my uh, my notes off with the uh, gagging face and then just the vomiting face because that is pretty much what I see in the running back room. But can the Texans lineup of veteran running backs provide any value to owners based on their ADP? David Johnson's currently going RB 47, Philip Lindsay RB 67. The rest of them are outside of Rotoviz's dynasty ADP uh, where the cutoff is RB 80, or should they be completely avoided in uh, dynasty? I know they could provide the upside in season long, obviously, but uh, what are your thoughts there? We'll start with you, Craig. I think honestly, Philip Lindsay's pretty much free in all formats right now, dynasty redraft and like, I don't even remember what I got him in the Scott Fishbowl. It was like the 14th round or something like that. Is This is a guy that could be a starting running back. He's a guy that's ran for over 1,000 yards twice in his career, split carries with Melvin Gordon last year. You know, it's not out of the realm of possibility for him to have a major impact. Uh, we've seen David Johnson not be the healthiest in recent years, too. I think it's really just going to be him and David Johnson by the end of this. Melvin mm-hmm. – um, uh, excuse me. Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram. He – uh you know, he signed a one-year deal there. I kind of think he's just kind of there to be the assistant running back coach. There's some rumors that he might even get cut. So he has that relationship with David Coley with them both being with the Ravens for the last couple of years too. So just kind of that veteran presence there. But with the rumors of him being cut now, maybe Rex Burkett's looking all right off his ACL, but I'm not going to count on him coming back too strong off his ACL either. So I think you could see a decent dose of Philip Lindsay early on and then kind of see David Johnson involved in the passing game too, I think. At least for redraft this year, they both could be flex plays. You know, who knows if Philip Lindsay looks good enough this year, they might keep him around for a little while too, so he could have some value in Dynasty as well. And like I said, for what you're paying for him, pretty much free. Uh, David Johnson, not as interested in him as in Dynasty, but I think there is some value there. Maybe you hit a couple of weeks. He's a guy. You know, if you draft him as like you're running back four, running back five, there's not really any harm there with he could provide in that passing game upside. We've seen. You know, LaShawn McCauley have like 50 catches playing with Tyrod Taylor up in Buffalo too. So it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility either. Love it. Some Definitely some good points made there. Philip Lindsay definitely looking like a bit of a value. And I think a lot of people forget that he's had two 1,000-yard seasons, usually split in work. 
Um, Jim, what are your thoughts for the people listening in podcast form? Jim was all thumbs up to Philip Lindsay. Yeah, man. Um, I'm a big fan of Philip Lindsay. Like you're saying, people seem to forget that this undrafted free agent out of Colorado rushed for two 1,000 yard seasons already behind, like, not really the greatest team either to be doing it in Denver. Um, doesn't have a lot of competition. I don't care what you say. Like, um, David Johnson, I'm not really too worried about. Big trust I like, but like you said, there's there's rumors about him possibly being cut and being like the Deuce Daly of of the Houston Texans there and just being like a mentor that's going to end up becoming a coach. <sighs> Man, he's free. He is free. Like I don't know like if this is like so much stink again of like Deshaun Watson doesn't play and if it's Tyrod, Tyrod, whatever, Davis Mills, whoever the hell they're going to get. If it's Blake Bortles, I don't know. He's out of Green Bay now. <laughs> uh, who knows who they're going to get? Maybe Gardner Minshew, man. Who knows? Like who fucking knows? But there's definitely options if they want to stay afloat and they don't want to completely tank, which I do think they do want to completely tank and get a top three pick and get, like Coach Craig was saying, a Spencer Rattler or or a Howell. But, like, he is free, man. And in PPR, like, David Johnson would be the guy I would probably go after more in PPR because, like, there's a stigma on Philip Lindsay too, thinking, like, he's a good pass catcher where he's more of a, like, he's more of a traditional banger running back when it comes to his running style, but he doesn't look it, which is, like, deceptive to people. They think he's a good PPR steal. But, again, like, what is it costing you? Like, a 15th rounder? Like, who cares? If he doesn't – like, these are the perfect opportunities. Even uh, Tyrell McLaughlin says, like, you know it gets sorted out by, like, week three week two like he's a guy that you can cut right away you know it and like mm-hmm. for your waiver wire you're not wondering if he's a bench guy so i see no problems with him definitely no i i definitely agree with that point and the texans have a lot of one-year contracts they have a lot of kind of prove it deals and see what they get out of it and see if they can get further contracts so you never know he could end up landing a slightly bigger third running back contract but i mean I mean, at worst, like, I think the people think just because the Texans are so bad, like, they're not going to run. They're not going to pass. No one's going to catch a football. Like, no, this isn't realistic. The floor is the Baltimore Ravens rushing attack and how little they get because of Lamar Jackson. You're not getting that low. And then the ceiling is, like, you know, the the Titans who run with Derrick Henry like crazy. who gets 300 rushes a season by himself so like you know that a team still is going to run the ball like at least 150 200 times no matter the game script no matter the flow of things there's going to be a ball handed off to go around and there's going to be passes to go around for that backfield as well for sure because I can almost guarantee they need some safety blankets there and when we dig into the tight ends later I don't think it's going to be at the tight end position I think it's more at the running back position um, next up, we'll move on to the Colts. Uh, very intriguing backfield here. It looks like Jonathan Taylor, the Jonathan Taylor rocket has left Earth, and it's, I think it's passing the moon now. He's going as the RB2 in Dynasty startups right now behind Christian McCaffrey. Colts running backs ranked second in average PPR per week behind only the Saints last season. JT being the team's number one running back in the last five straight weeks. Although many people aren't mentioning the matchups that he had in those five weeks, they choose to ignore that, but talk about it with David Montgomery. But in reality, JT did have 12 weeks as an RB2 and six as an RB1. So you're getting a very, very strong running back in Jonathan Taylor. So my question to you guys is, is Taylor the next big workhorse at running back? 
And what about Hines? He finished as the RB15 last season. He finished as an RB2 two times in the last five weeks as Taylor started to take over. But he did rank top five in a lot of the change of pace categories, be it targets, receptions, receiving yards, etc. We'll start with uh, you, Jim, on your thoughts on the Colts' backfield. So I just want to really quickly say, like I touched on earlier with Chris Ballard and his interview said who was the full goal. He mentioned Marlon Mack was a full goal. So as much as I'm a big Jonathan Taylor fan, I love him. I'm actually watching this backfield, not because I think Marlon Mack's a huge threat to Jonathan Taylor in the, in the terms of sheer talent, but what I'm going to do with Cam Akers is just like what I want to just sidetrack on here. I want to see what Marlon Mack does coming back here behind a very good offensive line and if he can cut look any good because if he can look anything good i'm going to start throwing second rounders at cam Akers owners because i think he's way more talented to Mar than marlon mack so if marlon mack can come back and this is what i'm going to be watching at because i'm not 100 sold on him but jonathan taylor my advice is i think if you didn't get him last year during the first half of the season when there was that dip and, and owners were panicking I think you really missed out and now you're going to start paying like uh, two first round prices and there's other running backs that you could possibly get that are better maybe a little cheaper like derrick henry um dalvin cook aaron jones like these are just running backs i think just because he has the youth on his age like the youth on his side these people are thinking like oh i'll have a running back for seven years bullshit you'll be lucky if you have a peak running back for three nothing against him but you know what i mean you got to be playing it like that especially with the running backs so I think you missed the train, man, if you didn't draft him or take him in the in the first half of the season when he was dipping before that five-game immense stretch where he blew up. What about you, Craig? Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of interesting points that both of you already made. Uh, <laughs> I was going to bring up that Jonathan Taylor down the stretch, too, you know, how we don't talk about it, but we talk about it for David Montgomery, too. <laughs> I think there's, there's definitely some concerns, though, here. Um, is he ever going to get, you know, that big – you know, slot, the percentage of the snaps, is he going to get the big targets here? Concerns there too. Maybe they limit, you know, the Colts kind of like to rotate their backs anyways, but maybe they tried to limit him a little bit on purpose too because of all the carries that he did have at Wisconsin for three years there. He had over 200 carries, I believe, all three years. A couple, I believe two of the years were over 300 carries too. I could be wrong on that. But just so that you got a lot of workload questions and that's kind of what even Jim brought up. You're not going to have this running back for a long time. And honestly, you know, the price to acquire Jonathan Taylor, it's so high right now. I'd rather try to go out and grab a guy like DeAndre Swift that adds that more of a pass catching element that I can get for cheaper right now because people are lower on him because the Lions aren't that good. And, you know, they're pretty much the same age. And like I said, you can already get them for cheaper. So I think the Colts backfield is very interesting, um, especially with Naeem Hines too. Yeah. Is he going to get that 70 plus targets that he got two out of the last three years, or is he going to get closer to 50 like he did two years ago? Uh, that's really going to make the bigger difference for him. They saw, you know, he's had those weird weeks where he got two touchdowns where he was getting some carries around the goal line. You know, it's not really his game, but, you know, if Jonathan Taylor is more efficient towards that goal line, could really help him out. And, like you said, Marlon Mack, we'll see what he is when he comes back from the Achilles injury. This Colts team also has two other players coming off Achilles. We already talked about Eric Fisher. And then uh, Dio Obadingo out of Vanderbilt, the rookie defensive end as well. So we'll see if they have a special program coming back for ACL or for off of Achilles there or what. And I'll mention one little thing just kind of deeper down the depth chart, but I think Jordan Wilkins ends up getting cut 
and Deion Jackson is the fourth running back. He's a rookie out of Duke. He was one of the top kind of players that were undrafted free agents. I believe he got 200,000 signing bonus. So, which was one of the tops among the undrafted guys. So I think he's going to end up being out Jordan Wilkins. I think he's a little bit more talented than Jordan Wilkins. And who knows, maybe he plays a little bit of special teams as well. Interesting. A taxi squad note taken there for anybody listening. And you guys definitely make a good point about Jonathan Taylor's workload. Like when we talk wide receivers, their career in the NFL really starts from day one unless they had a bad injury history in college. So when you talk seven years out for them, you talk seven years out. When you talk seven years out for a running back, you really got to look back to their college workload. And it's really more like seven years back is seven years in, in like the lifespan of a running back is more like four NFL years, three college years. Like it's very different. So you guys definitely make some good points um in that department next up we're gonna head on over to jacksonville where they've made a bit of a muddy situation but a fun situation to look at is urban preparing to create the next great nfl backfield tandem with travis Etienne and james robinson james robinson signed as we all know as a udfa last season finished as the rb7 he was the big surprise story of last season for fantasy. And then the Jags turned around and invested the first round pick in Travis Etienne. Um, Etienne faced his college skepticism over his ability to absorb contact and play through contact, which Robinson had absolutely zero issues with uh, last season uh, in Jacksonville behind a not-so-great offensive line and behind a terrible offense overall. Um, Etienne is currently being drafted at RB13. Does this worry you to invest that high given the potential dual back system? Well, James Robinson is going RB24. Do you think the Jags may be a team who can produce two top 24 running backs? We'll start with you, Craig. Oh, that's a tough one. I think, you know, looking at those dynasty numbers, they're both a little bit overvalued, I think, because I think James Robinson's a guy in that when you talk in terms of dynasty, he could be gone and after next year, like just be dust in theory. Um, you know, if Travis Etienne comes in and he plays really well and he just kind of takes this job over, it wouldn't surprise me. They also have Carlos Hyde on that two-year contract. So they could end up trading James Robinson. And if they just have Hyde and Etienne, I don't think Urban Meyer has a problem with that going into next year, if that's what they want to do. And, you know, they did bring back Dario Gumbawale for whatever reason, too. He's a great special teamer and everything like that. And he can get the ball pretty well in pass block. So maybe he's in there on third down and pass blocking situations as well. But you know, out of these two, Etienne's really the one that I want. He's probably going a little bit more expensive than I would probably pay for him, like in a startup draft. But I think in the rookie drafts, kind of the area where he was going, that's probably where you have to pick him up. Maybe you can still get him on the cheap, especially if he gets off to a slow start this year. He's not involved as much as we want him to be or we expect him to be the first couple of weeks of the season. So maybe it's a little bit more James Robinson usage. Maybe they're using the three wide receivers. He's not really running out of the wide receiver slot or anything like that or that gadget roll right away. They're kind of feeling it out and see how it goes. Maybe that's the time you bite on Travis Etienne. I think they both could have some impact for uh, redraft for this season, though, uh, especially in like PPR leagues. You could see that volume for Travis Etienne. And obviously he has that connection with Trevor Lawrence, too, so that's going to help him out in the long run overall, especially, you know, if DJ Tark leaves in free agency after the season, too. So maybe then he moves more into that slot role if that's really how they choose to use him. I like it. Some good points there, Craig. What about you, Jim? Your overall thoughts on ETN Robinson and that backfield? So 
Your first question was, do I think this team can support two top 24 uh, running backs? Absolutely not. I do not think they can. Uh, I just don't think the opportunity of volume is going to be there for them. I don't think they're going to be in positive game scripts enough for two running backs to have an effective role. But what I do think, though, is if you're going to grab one of them, I'd be grabbing James Robinson because the fact is if they do let him go, he's shown the fact that he can take an NFL beating. And, like, teams like that. Teams are looking at guys that are, like, still big. They can still hammer. He took 100% of the team's uh, three-yard carries, short yardage carries, 100% of his team's short yardage carries. He was a monster uh, in the five-yard line and, and like and close, right? He knows how to get to the end zone. He's shown what he can do. And Travis Etienne, I'm sorry, man. Like there is concerns about his durability coming into the NFL and his ability to take on the impact and absorb an impact of a hit and shed it. And that is something James Robinson has definitely shown he can do. So out of the two, I'm liking J-Rob. It might become like maybe next year a muddy – and I'm not worried about Carlos Hyde. Seriously, you bring up Carlos Hyde on his two-year contract? Like if anyone's getting cut, it's Carlos Hyde. But, yeah, him and Urban will probably be gone blowing up shit. Um, but if, if ETN can possibly form a role – where they're kind of pulling Chenault out of, and Chenault's going more into the wide receiver, dominant wide receiver, and not kind of giving him trick Cordell Patterson type plays, and they like focus that more on Travis Etienne. They could have a potential, very light version of a Nick Chubb Kareem Hunt in there, like an AFC South version, very light. Uh, we'll see how it ends up happening, man. But like, and again, those those two guys are good. But for this year, I don't think you're going to see two top twenty four running backs. I like it. I definitely like it. I know there's a lot of people who say, well, they're not that invested in James Robinson. Maybe they'll try and lean more heavily on ETN and get Robinson out. But that just doesn't make sense either. If they're so cheaply invested in him, why would you give away someone who just gave you that type of season that he gave you? It just doesn't make sense. for. But the ETN truthers will probably really want him out. So they're going to create the narrative of that. Um, lastly, we can't leave this division without talking about the king, King Henry himself, who feels like he's still being slept on. His current ADP is RB11. And can we please, I don't know if anyone, I mean, we'll talk to, about him, but can we please squash a Darienton Evans hype as well while we're talking about this? Um, but does the loss of Arthur Smith potentially shift how the run game works? Henry, over the last 31 games, has had 22 RB2 finishes and 18 of those as an RB1. So over half of his last two seasons games have been RB1 finishes. 14 of those RB2 finishes produced over 21 points. Do we keep smashing King Henry at his ADP until proven otherwise? Or do we start to become concerned with the workload? And, you know, as we talk about at the end of every season, well, that, Derek Henry can't do that again. Can he, Jim? Um, I'm, I'm staying with him, man. You know what I mean? Uh, PPR ranked last year, 337.1 points, third overall, um, number one in rushing yards, number one in attempts, uh, number two in total touchdowns, number three PPR, like I said, number five in PPR uh, in a game, like points per points per game, uh, and number six in fantasy points over expectation, which is actually huge too. So like, even though you're still doubting him, this dude was doing it. 73% of the time he gave you at least an RB2 finish in, in the season. I excluded week 17 with that boisterous uh, Houston game that didn't help you anyway. 
Uh, yeah, I'm absolutely buying him. I know some people might be a little bit down because of that championship game where he gave you less than 10 points against Green Bay, but he still buoyed you to get there against um, – let me double-check who it was. I think it was Jacksonville. Yeah, Jacksonville and Detroit with 36.2 and 25.2 points respectively to get you into the championship game. So he is a guy that I, that I'm definitely that I'm definitely taking. We always talk about him every single week. It seems like he is this this season's Irv Smith Jr. to me, where I seem to end up talking about him at least once every episode. Um, people seem to be depreciating his value, saying the wheels are going to fall off with his multiple 300 yard touch seasons now, and leading the league in rushing this year. But they don't ever bake that price in with Dalvin Cook, who has finally seen a full season, first time ever since high school. Uh, it's just blowing my mind. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, I guess, man. But I'm I'm taking King Henry and that'll RB eleven. That is absolutely fucking nuts. What about you, Craig? And and can are, are you buying these Darienton Evans uh rumors or apparently a potential uptick in usage? So for Derrick Henry, I think you pretty much just keep playing him until he shows you he can't play anymore. Like, like, especially in Dynasty, as long as you're competing, you want Derrick Henry on your roster until the wheels fall off completely. Like you just wait till he rides off into the sunset. If you're not competing, you know, you ride him out as long as you can. Try to get rid of him one year before you think it's off. It's going to be really hard to do with him just because that's really – we haven't seen anybody quite like him. Mm-hmm. And even when you talk about, you know, his running back two finishes are better – the only games that he doesn't finish pretty much as a running back too is when they're trailing like big time and he's not on the field. Those are the only games. And we've seen it a couple times last year, but it's not anything I'm really concerned about because you're gonna you'll you'll take those losses when they come. Hopefully somebody else on your team is gonna overperform and make up for it. But the weeks where that's not happening, you want Derrick Henry on your team pretty much every single week. Uh Darrington Evans, you know, I really liked him coming out of uh, college, you know, I had a lot of dynasty shares because I'm like, well, maybe I'll get lucky and uh, Derrick Henry won't resign. Then he resigned like right after that. So, but uh, you know, he's getting a lot of hype, especially just because of all the Twitter. You know, being this nice guy, supporting content creators and everything like that. Uh, biggest thing for him is he's got to be able to stay on the field. He dealt with a bunch of hamstring injuries last year, and if you can't get on the field, you can't get fantasy points either way. So it doesn't really matter if you're sitting on the bench. You know, they brought in Brian Hill too. I know not everybody's crazy about Brian Hill, but he does have that experience. Maybe he takes that third down roll over. Jeremy McNichols was halfway decent at third down roll last year, surprisingly, after pretty much all being ran out of the NFL. And he's on the pup right now, too. Um, I'm trying to think of who else they have. They have Makai Sargent out of Iowa, who's a kid I really like, too, that was undrafted free agent. Really does a little bit of everything well. Not the fastest guy in the world. Decent hands, decent pass blocking. If he gets into a role where he could succeed, I do like him, you know, kind of as a sleeper guy, but probably not going to be anything for fantasy ever, though. Maybe a guy you, you stack on, stash on your taxi squad, see if he does anything, if he makes the team even. Love it. So definitely some good points, some good information there. Gold or fool's gold, I'll kick it off. The gold, I'm going to stick with stick with Derrick Henry, stick with the king. I mean, even if you're drafting right now, you cannot go wrong at his ADP. He's going almost – like he's going in the second round for you right now at this point, and he's almost uh, shooing for RB1 until the wheels fall off, like we said. So, I mean, you can't go against King Henry um, there. 
I'm probably gonna go with the uh I'm going with Travis Etienne. That that RB13 price. If you got him in the rookie drafts, okay, that's not too bad. But if you if you're going for him now, RB13, that's a pretty high price to be paying for an offensive. We know very little about we don't know what it's going to look like we don't know who's going to get the the load of the work and we don't know what type of role and impact that, that james robinson's going to have on travis Etienne's potential workload i mean you could produce two top 24 running backs but if etn is the kareem hunt and james hunt is the nick chubb then you would expect their finishes to flip-flop and James Robinson be closer to the RB1 and then Travis Etienne be closer to, you know, RB2 right around 22, 23, 24. Um, Craig, uh, Craig, what about you? Well, I got Derrick Henry as the gold, I think, especially in redraft too. It's just there's no doubt in him, kind of like we already talked about too much. But uh, fool's gold, I kind of have the Jacksonville running backs. I think Travis Etienne could – turn into something that we could see him be kind of like a souped up version of Raheem Mostert in the NFL level. If he catches passes a little bit more than Mostert does, he could definitely be a value in them and where he was going in rookie drafts. If you get him there, I think he's a value where you get him and startups. I'd probably be comfortable a couple, you know, if you move him down about four spots or so, there's definitely room for him to be a top 10 running back in dynasty, but there's a lot of question marks there too, with urban Meyer. Um, James Robinson is kind of like fool's gold for me too. I think they're just going to, run them into the ground because they have nothing invested in them too, that, you know, they could be done with them after a couple of, you know, after this year or next year, kind of like I already alluded to. And, you know, he's a guy that I think he really is just good for fantasy last year, just because he got that much volume. And if he's not getting that much volume, I don't see him really panning out in dynasty. I love it. Jim golden fool's gold. I don't know if I can really sum up anything better than you guys just uh, eloquently just said there. It's got to be the king. Like I said, heavy is the head that wears a crown. Can't really say anybody else is really trashy because you're not paying anything for the Texans running backs. And I'm pretty sure no one's going to be upset when Jonathan Taylor finishes as an RB1. So it's got to be one of the Jacksonville running backs. So take your pick. I like Robinson, though. That's not going to actually say his name as a, as a trashy fool's gold so just take your pick on one of them man <laughs> yeah i mean the only other one Nahi Mines, has some risk there could be some associated risk there because jonathan taylor it may surprise a lot of people he was one of when you take all his stats into into account he was one of the best pass catching running backs his he had like a 90 percent catch rate like he was really good catching the football so frank Reich chooses to go full on Looking at Jonathan Taylor, his upside is just through the roof. You can go past the moon with him, but he's going to cost you the earth and the moon, and you might be heading towards Mars to get him. So that's the only issue I have if you didn't get him last year. Um, we're going to move into the wide receivers. Before, before we move into the wide receivers, quick shout out to Viridian Global. Um, I forgot to wear my Viridian Global gear today, but Craig wore a shirt and a hat and Jim wore a shirt. So there's plenty of Viridian Global gear to go around. Follow them at Viridian Global, V-E-R-I-D-I-A-N on Twitter and ViridianGlobal.com. You can go and purchase any gear, your Scott Fishbowl gear, your Brighter Skies gear, your Sons of Dynasty gear, your True North Fantasy Football gear. It's all there. Hats, three-quarter length shirts, T-shirts. You can get any of it there. Let's move right into the wide receivers. Let's start with the uh, <laughs> the Texans. 
So the game script is going to be ugly. The team is going to be bad and likely in line to be drafting their franchise quarterback next year. The ball is going to be a flying, and somebody has to catch that football despite fantasy Twitter kind of leading you on to believe that, you know, no one's going to catch football there. Reaction, I want to first question will be reaction to the Anthony Miller acquisition, which just happened a couple uh, nights ago. Could the opportunity help him stand out? Secondly, Brandon Cooks has 1,100-plus yards in four of his last six seasons, over 100 targets in five of his last six seasons, and is currently going, I shit you not, I looked at this three or four times, he is going as a wide receiver 52 in Dynasty startups <laughs> right this moment as we speak. He has finished as a top 20 wide receiver in four of his last five seasons. He's eclipsed 220 points in all four of these seasons. So what the fuck? Is the fantasy community doing that he is going that far despite his age, despite this falsified injury history that he has because he's only missed like four games in the last six seasons. And if you want to elaborate on Nico Collins, Kiko Kiki Cutie, and we'll save Randall Cobb for the NFC side of things when he gets dealt here later today. Um, so let's talk Brandon Cooks, Anthony Miller, and then anybody we might be sleeping on. Let's start with you, Craig. Yeah, so I'll kind of talk about all the guys they do have in camp, the major factors at least, let's put it that way. Uh, they did just keep, cut uh, Dante Moncrief, so I was kind of cheering for that because we know he's got stone hands <laughs> anyways. But uh, I think they only brought him in for special teams, and they already bought, brought in three other wide receivers for special teams. So we'll kind of I'll go through those three guys real quick. One's Chris Moore, who's in Baltimore that's never really done anything there, was hurt half last season, so I expect him to get cut as well. Andre Roberts' kick return that was most recently with Buffalo. I expect him to make the team as the kick returner. Alex Erickson, who played most recently with Bengals, pretty good punt returner. I expect him to do make the team as well as the punt returner. So you got two wide receivers there, so they got room for about four more on the team. And Randall Cobb's most likely getting traded today. Hopefully you get like a third-round pick for him. Probably ends up being like a fourth or something. Just depends on who ends up paying the salary, I would expect. Uh, if the Texans pay the salary, I expect a better pick. If Packers end up paying the salary, which I do not expect, I assume we get a worse pick. But uh, I think getting rid of him is fine because they kind of overpaid for him anyways. And, you know, you're trying to get a little bit more youth and get, give some of these other guys an opportunity. Uh, we, You know, Brandon Cooks is the big one that you already talked about. He's being undervalued, whether it's in Dynasty or Redraft. I believe in Redraft he's in the 40s as well. So, you know, you're drafting him as a wide receiver for for a guy that is pretty consistent. We saw it even after Will Fuller was dealing with his suspension last year that he really stopped up his game there, except for the couple games that he was hurt as well. Um, Tyrod Taylor has had some success making a wide receiver relevant, Sammy Watkins in Buffalo. So if there's just one main guy and he's getting a lot of targets, we definitely could see Brandon Cooks do very well again. Uh, Nico Collins is very interesting. I think this is a big year for him. If he gets in the field, if he plays a lot, if he shows that he can do something, it's going to be a major thing for him, especially in terms of dynasty. If he kind of doesn't do that right away, and then all of a sudden the Texans trade Deshaun Watson away and they have all these draft picks and they invest heavily in a wide receiver, then that's kind of where Nico Collins' value gets knocked off. But I really think Nico Collins is a very interesting player. You know, he's kind of a little raw still. He obviously didn't play last year due to the COVID opt-out. I kind of call him, you know, DK Metcalf light, you know, 
coming out of college. He's that bigger body wide receiver. He's got some speed. He can run the, you know, your go route. He can win your some jump balls and stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. It just kind of depends what he can show this year. Anthony Miller, they obviously traded for. Really didn't give up much for him. It was a fifth-round pick for a seventh-round pick swap in there as well. He's a guy I really did like. Matt Nagy hated him for whatever reason. He loves Javon Weems for whatever reason. Javon Weems must have some kind of blackmail on Matt Nagy. Um, but Miller has shown flashes in the past. He showed some flashes in his rookie year. He showed flashes at the end of his second year with Trubisky where he was a relevant fantasy wide receiver. Could we see that again? Just kind of depends on how this offense shakes out. But I think, you know, if they use some of that pre-snap motion, they kind of move him around the formation. Definitely could be good for him as well. Then you get down to the last two guys competing for a roster spot. In my mind, Kiki QT, who got who was in Bill O'Brien's doghouse for the longest time, plus his injury history. So he had a lot of soft tissue injuries. He looked really well as a you know a rookie, but he's had some fumbling issues as well. We saw it down at the two-yard line against the Colts last year. Seen on a punt return as well, I believe, last year. So can he overcome some of that stuff? If you guys don't already know, when Wes Welker was on the tight or when he was on the Texans, excuse me, he was actually the one that told them to draft Kiki QT. So if he gets cut, I think Wes Wilker's still on the 49ers. So maybe he ends up on the 49ers. And then the last guy they have in the wide receiver room right now is Chris Conley, who we've already seen with Jacksonville Jaguars. Kind of that veteran presence. You kind of know what you're getting with him. More of an outside wide receiver, though. I love it. And I mean, for, for in regards to the Javon Wims comment and having something against him, Correct me if I'm wrong, but is he not the guy who threw a bunch of punches at a helmet of Chauncey Gardner-Johnson? So, like, that would probably scare me into keeping him on the roster as well. I'm just saying. I mean, if a guy's willing to chuck bombs at a helmet like that, I, I'd be – he'd scare me a little bit too. Um, we'll go over to you, Jim. Um, thoughts? I know you love Nico Collins, so I'm sure we're going to get a rant there. But thoughts on the Texans wide receivers and any – do you want any of them? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely want one. Uh, Brandon Cooks, for sure. If I'm competing, he's a great wide receiver, three um, start wide, three wide receiver teams. If it's going to be Tyrod, if it's going to be Davis, it doesn't matter, really. Uh, they're going to look to a veteran, I believe, and feed him and funnel him. The other guy, like Coach Craig was saying, that I'm very interested in, and like you said, I'm probably going to go on a rant to, is Nico Collins. That guy got his draft capital, like, again, kicked the shit out of because of Shea Patterson. He's done it now to two two wide receivers, three you know, three wide receivers he's crushed their, crushed their draft capital for. So I like him. It all depends on, like you said, if he can get on the field and show enough promise. I don't expect him to be a fantasy stud this year. I don't expect him to put up monster numbers for you. All I'm looking for, if you drafted Nico Collins in the back end of the second and snipe me, um bz looking at you uh is just progression that's all i'm looking for for nico opportunity and progression if he can make the right like make the right uh options when it's an option row if he is good in his routes if he has strong solid hands and like just that's it man like that's it i don't care if he only sees the field a little bit of times uh starting off and very very vague i don't care if his quarterback overthrows him six or seven times because i don't expect his quarterback to be fucking good i just want to see what he can do on an nfl level against nfl talent because i am very interested to see him because he didn't really pay a lot for him in rookie drafts like i said back in the second and he's a guy that again if you see a little bit of opportunity he can Right, rises value, but Brandon Cooks is the one I'm really interested in. Like I said, wide receiver three on a team. If you if it's a three wide receiver uh, start team, he's money. 
He is absolute money for you. Mm-hmm. Definitely. No, I completely agree. Um, moving over to Indianapolis, it's T.Y. Hilton and then a whole lot of potential upside pieces. Do you want Hilton on your team at his ADP of wide receiver 77? Or do you think the decline may be real with Hilton? And then take a look in the at the other pieces there. Paris Campbell's had freakish luck with injuries. None of his injuries actually are linked at all. They're all completely different. They're completely opposite sides of the body. Um, but he does have, have a ridiculous athletic profile at an ADP of wide receiver 65. Would you be willing to take that risk? And then, of course, there's Michael Pittman, who is has the higher of the ADPs and is garnering hype this offseason to break out and be the Colts wide receiver one. He did miss three games after a calf surgery that typically takes four to six weeks to return from. Um, but something to think about that I actually found out and witnessed quite a bit as an Eagles fan is Carson Wentz has never in five years starting in the NFL had a 1,000-yard wide receiver. Could this actually be a trap wide receiver room as well? We'll start with you, Jim. Um, I don't think it's a trap wide receiver room. The guy I'm really interested in is Michael Pittman. Uh, I'm a big fan, big, big fan of his coming out of USC. He has the NFL pedigree with his dad, uh, Super Bowl champion, Michael Pittman Sr. And... um, if I miss out on him, the guy I would be willing to grab is the nine-game wonder boy, Paris Campbell. He has the highest upside. I'm not 100% sold on T.Y. Hilton just because of the age factor and dynasty. He's not a wide receiver I'm really looking to grab. It would have been Paris because he has an opportunity. To like Again, Coach Talk saying he's going to be a big focal point of the offense. Um, we'll see it when we get it because, what I said, in nine games and over 32, right? 32 games possible, and he's only played nine, so – but he's young too. He's only like what, 25, 26. Like he's, he's young. So um, it could, we, we could see, we could see, but um, yeah, my, Michael Pittman, I'm a, I'm a big fan, big fan ever since he came out of, out of uh, USC. And what about you, Craig? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think you can definitely take that shot on uh, Hilton. If you really want to a wide receiver 77, like in startups, just because you pay nothing for him. And at that point, those are some guys that I'll target aging wide receivers there in like startups, like him, Emmanuel Sanders, they're pretty much free. So like if they come on, they do anything at all and you can flip them for like a second round pick. Like you just get like, they had the big two weeks in a row and you flip them for a second round pick. That's just free at that point. Cause you're turning like a 16th, 17th round pick in your startup for like a second round pick in your rookie draft. So anytime I can do that, I try to do that. But um, Hilton until last year, when he had a couple games against like the Texans and the Raiders outside of that, since Andrew Luck retired, he did not have a hundred yards receiving in a single game until those games. So like over a year and a half. So there's concerns there. Maybe Carson Wellens helps him out with the deep ball. If Carson Wellens can, you know, kind of get that deep ball back. Kind of already talked about that too, where he's holding on the ball for too long. Hopefully he does. Hopefully he has some of these guys underneath that makes him feel more comfortable. And then they can kind of pick and choose their shots but maybe T.Y. Hilton could end up being a little bit of that decoy even this year. Um, we'll see if he stays healthy, too, because he's had a lot of those soft history injuries. Michael Pittman Jr. is a guy that I love quite a bit as well. I thought he could have been a first round, end of the first round type of guy in the real NFL draft. He ended up going, you know, just in the beginning of the second round. You know, a big guy. He's a pretty good route runner. He's a lot quicker than you actually think he is, given his size. Um, probably give credit to his dad for that since he was an NFL running back, but – you know, you saw him run that little 
uh, dig route against the uh, Green Bay Packers where they were just playing zone. He catches the ball like six yards and just takes off for like another 70 because they can't catch up to him because the one corner blitz and there's nobody behind him. Uh, so I think he's definitely interesting. I kind of want him in all formats, whether it's dynasty or even redraft this year, because I think his redraft price is actually pretty nice. Uh, somebody has to, somebody in theory should have to break out from this wide receiver core. Um, but we'll get into that a little bit later when I talk to the tight ends, cause I went back and looked at some of the Carson Wentz, some of the Frank Wright trends and stuff like that too. But, uh, Paris Campbell, not really somebody that I'm interested in. You know, I kind of played that game before just, doesn't really pan out too well. You know, he's had the injuries. He's got that athletic profile. But I think, honestly, Zach Pro, Zach Pascal is the number three wide receiver on this team already because he's been on the field. They trust him. They put that second-round tender on him. He's going to be on the field. They trust him. And until Paris Campbell can pass him up again, I think he's the wide receiver three. Um, so Paris Campbell could pass him up. He could pass, pass up T.Y. Hilton. We'll just see what ends up happening with it. But I think – until further notice, Pascal's going to be out on that field, you know, and he actually led the wide receivers in snap percentage a good majority of the year last year too as well. And then even like what you said with Michael Pittman Jr., it was amazing how fast he came back from that injury because it was a leg compartment syndrome injury. He actually went to the hospital for it. And he came back in three weeks, and he should have been, it should have been like six weeks. So just crazy. Um, so hopefully he doesn't have anything else crazy like that happen in his career, but I definitely think he's the one to have in this room. And But Zach Pascal, just going back to him real quick, if I'm in best ball draft, you're like down there around 20, just pick Zach Pascal because you know there's going to be two to three weeks out of the year that he's going to plug into your lineup where he just has like their random two-touchdown game. So mm-hmm. that's a guy that I'm interested in real late in best ball drafts, especially for this year, though. Yeah, I really like Zach Pascal, too, for the fact that he's a red zone monster. He's proven extremely reliable in that red zone. And he proved extremely reliable with Zach Pat or with Philip Rivers. So I mean that that speaks volumes uh, for sure. Um, next up, Jacksonville, Chenault, Chenault, and Chark seem the pieces being debated in the Jags receiving room, while Marvin Jones is just kind of hanging out there, sneaking around. Chenault is intriguing for his yak ability, and Chark had his wide receiver eighteen breakout just two years ago prior to Winkin terribly inconsistent play last season along with his injuries um jones has a crazy nose for the end zone with exactly nine touchdowns in three of the last four seasons and i actually broke down the math on the season that he got injured he was on pace for exactly nine touchdowns again um despite t-law's quote-unquote generational talent in startups the first wide receiver off the board for Jacksonville they're actually going back to back is DJ Chark at 33 and LaVisca Chenault at 34 which uh which of these guys do you want and if T-Law if T-Law is so generational generational then why are these pass catchers going where they're going and the running backs going as a what running back fringe running back one and a running back two uh we'll start with you Craig I think there's just a lot of questions in this offense. That's kind of why you see them going where they're going. Um, for a redraft focus myself, I am trying to get Marvin Jones everywhere I can because you're getting him like round 11, round 12, which is just ridiculous with the consistency that he's shown. I think he's a wide receiver that fits Trevor Lawrence very nicely. It's kind of what he's seen in college with like a T. Higgins, you know, a Justin Ross, even Amari Rodgers, even though he's five foot nine, he's a guy that could go up and get the ball, win contested catches and stuff like that. So I think that's really going to help him. And I think that's going to hurt DJ Chark, at least for this season. 
I'm really interested to see whether DJ Chark moves on to a different team next year. And how is that going to impact him? Because I think he's just a wide receiver too on another team. And, you know, you talked about his wide receiver 18 season. Even in that season, he was very inconsistent. So he had some big boom weeks. He had some weeks that were not quite as nice either. So he's kind of a touchdown or bust guy too. He does have that really good athletic profile, but if he's not scoring the touchdowns, if he's not getting those long passes, he's kind of limited. And I think Marvin Jones kind of eats away from that at least this year. Um, LaVisca Chanel, I know the hype has kind of gotten off the track off the tracks a little bit for a while. seems like it kind of came back down to earth a little bit now, though. Um, but the thing that really intrigued me is last year, you know, they didn't really use him very creatively. You know, he got a couple touches in the backfield. I thought they should have been doing a little bit more of that. Now you bring in a Travis Etienne that you're trying to use in that role where he's kind of the slide. He's kind of the guy that you're moving around and stuff like that. They brought in Jamal Agnew, who we kind of talked about when we did the free agency thing. And he's not just going to be a kick returner for the money that they gave him. They gave him five million, seven up to seven million dollars a year for a freaking kick returner. So he's going to have some of those creative plays where he comes in, and that's those touches. You know, they could be valuable touches for Lavisca Chanel. And I have some questions about him whether it's that because he's not quite that, you know, real wide receiver yet at this point in his career. Um, he does have some injury concerns going back to college, even so you could be. To me, he's kind of like a, a guy that could be either we could look at him next year and he's like a solid wide receiver too, or we could look at him how we're kind of looking at Debo Samuel now who where he's been injured quite a bit and we have a lot more question marks and maybe one of his teammates is even getting, becoming more valuable than him. Love it. Good example there. What about you, Jim? Man, that was a great example there with Debo. Um Bisk is the one I actually want. He was the second piece of this offense I wanted. The first one was J-Rob, but I was alluding to way back when we talked about Trevor Lawrence being overvalued. Like Coach Craig said, he is slowly coming into his own right as a wide receiver. He's a gadget guy in Colorado where they manufacture touches for him there. And rightfully so, I could see why Jacksonville tried to do that. Right? It was more try to do what the player is good at instead of trying to assimilate him to your offense. I get that. But now you have Travis Etienne for that role. You can move him out. I'm really concerned, though. If he doesn't do well enough, they will sign DJ Chark, and you're going to be left holding the bag. I don't think his value – because like the other reason I'm grabbing him is because I am predicating it on DJ Chark leaving in free agency where his price is going to be too high. And then that value of, of Visca is naturally going to rise from what you're paying for him right now. And those are investments that I'm always looking to make in Dynasty because, again, like you can get them cheaper and then you can flip them for what is perceived as a lower-end wide receiver that was once at this point and maybe even ahead of him at this point, which is hilarious, and a lower-end tight end or a running back. But what I really want to ask you guys is, is Craig, Craig was touching on it, the guy who wants in season long is Marvin Jones. Do we see Marvin Jones become uh, – score four touchdowns in a game for his third NFL team. Like it's crazy. He's done it. He's done it for Cincy. And he's done it for Detroit, man. Two, four, four touchdown games by two different teams. Do, do you think you actually see it? Because like, again, Trevor Lawrence, rookie quarterback, probably going to be relying on, relying on a veteran presence. And the dude has a fucking nose for the end zone. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I love it. Uh, that would be so cool to see that. Cause I don't think well, you're ever going to see that again in, in the NFL, if that ever happens. If I was Trevor He's a Lawrence, Hall of Famer, I'd, then if I if I was Trevor Lawrence, I'd be looking to make that happen no matter what. 
Um, our final stop in the wide receiving room is the Titans. They made the big move to bring in Julio Jones, and they've added a far more reliable number three in Josh Reynolds. Um, A.J. Brown is uh, back after being the wide receiver 11 last year, and he actually missed two games. He has back-to-back 200-plus PPR seasons. There's name in nearly half of his games. He's been the wide receiver two or better. That's 14 of his 30 games in the NFL so far. The Titans ranked 24th in receptions at the wide receiver position last season, 27th in targets to wide receivers. Jones should definitely improve the receptions if targeted enough. But is there enough work to sustain two reliable wide receivers in fantasy. We kind of touched on the concerns a bit earlier with Tannehill. Can Jones hold up and is he a value if you're contending? And has A.J. Brown's value, has he done enough to warrant his current startup ADP value of wide receiver two? He's going behind Justin Jefferson right now as a wide receiver one. Uh, We'll start with you, Jim. Um, Just real quick, can you repeat that? He's going as wide receiver what in Dynasty Startups? Two, two dynasty startups is going as two, like like Stefan Diggs retired, Tyree Kill, these guys are gone, right? He went two. This is per wow. FFPC Rotoviz hey, dynasty guess, startup cool. super flex. Um, and here I was thinking he took a little bit of a hit because of Julio coming in, and I was I was trying to actually grab him because the dude. For like a guy that had like two hundred yard or two hundred PPR seasons back to back, I don't ever see like him get the respect. Like I have him on some teams and I try to like throw some trade offers with him, like seeing what can happen as packages. And like, man, I apparently overvalue him way more than everybody else in the industry because like I see him as a stud. I see him like on the equal path with, with DK Metcalf. Actually a little bit ahead of DK Metcalf. Um I do, I do think uh, if you're a contender, Julio is a good buy because, like I said, you probably got him. You probably got him, picked him up cheaper when there was a de- decline and he was still in Atlanta before the news broke that he was getting traded to Tennessee. He could definitely help you out. I don't see him being a top end tight end for you, like your, or sorry, wide receiver for you, like your wide receiver one on your team. I wouldn't want him, but like your wide receiver two, wide receiver three. That's that's fucking money. Um, that, like I said, apparently I'm, I'm lost with AJ Brown though. Cause I thought, I thought he was actually taking a dip with that Julio news. Cause uh, I can't seem to trade him for a premium value. I mean, there's a potential that in other places he might be going lower, but I judging by the sounds of that, I'd say he's probably at least being drafted as a top five wide receiver and call me crazy, but I don't value him the same at all. Uh, Craig, what are your thoughts on this? So I think there's enough volume in this offense and it's going to be concentrated for both these guys to be relevant for AJ Brown to be a wide receiver one this year. And for Julio Jones to be, you know, like a top 15, top 18 wide receiver in redraft. So if Julio stays healthy, that's the big if kind of there. I think, you know, all the other pieces, you know, they're going to get a couple targets here and there, but it's not like Derrick Henry's eating up a bunch of targets out of the backfield. He gets maybe two a game if he's lucky. And then, you know, you have the whole tight end situation that we'll talk about a little bit later. But, you know, Josh Reynolds, how often are they going to go three wide receiver sets? I do like Josh Reynolds if something does happen to Julio. So if you're in Dynasty, maybe you kind of stash him. Maybe Julio doesn't stay on after the season and Josh Reynolds is there and he does enough this year that they don't really go out and spend big on another wide receiver. Maybe they spend money elsewhere because their defense still isn't the best. They're still trying to work on that as well. 
So there's a lot of question marks there, but I think AJ Brown, you know, wide receiver two might be a little bit of reach, you know, before Julio was there, you know, he was my wide wide receiver one in dynasty, you know, but he's definitely up there with some of these other guys, you know, Tyree kills definitely got to be up there as well. Uh, I think a lot of people are just, you know, so many people in dynasty are going towards that youth movement. They want to, I can't put Justin Jefferson ahead of AJ Brown because Justin Jefferson's only done it one year. AJ Brown's done back to back years. And AJ Brown did it last year on two bum knees. And like the one game that he missed early in the season, he had a deep, he had a bone bruise in his knee. Those mm-hmm. things don't heal for like a month. I had a deep bone bruise in my foot when I first started playing college or uh, when I started uh, my freshman year of high school football. And that thing took like six weeks to heal. So in your knee, it takes probably like four weeks. And he just like kind of rested for one week and then went out and played on it. And people just don't consider that. I think he had surgery on both his knees in the offseason as well. But I think there's the talent with him is just so special. And people that put DK Metcalf over ahead of him and Dynasty, that's just kind of another story because he was better than him at Ole Miss. He's better than him in the NFL. So, and you could argue he has a worse quarterback in Ryan Tannehill than Russell Wilson as well. So, uh, I just think the upside is very high with AJ Brown, especially if they, you know, if something ever did happen to Derrick Henry and they have to throw the ball more often too. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you get a Brian Hill, a Darrington Evans, one of those guys that we talked about before, they're not going to run the ball 25 times a game with one of those guys. Mm-hmm. They're going to throw to Julio and they're going to throw to AJ Brown. They're going to flip the script because Ryan Tannehill is a decent enough quarterback to do that. I love it. That Absolutely. Is perfect. Spot on. Uh, Jim Gold, Fool's Gold. So I've been like going back and forth on who I think I should put as my gold. Um, either one is a Titan. I want AJ Brown, man. The guy is just consistent. I think, like, I thought he was getting a dip, like I said earlier, with that Julio news, but apparently he's not. Like, people think he's fire, like me. So it's awesome. Um, my my fool's gold is um, I don't really know because again like these guys are so fucking cheap like you said earlier Brandon Cooks mm-hmm. wide receiver fifty six um, Colts receivers who knows sixty six and beyond I think is what you were saying besides Pittman um, I don't know who you could really say is trash there man maybe DJ Chark because like he's the highest pillar of them all but like even still what's that wide receiver thirty three I'm pretty sure he's going to return ADP on that. Pretty, I don't know, pretty rough, man. I don't really have a fool's goal for that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, my my fool's goal was going to be like, I mean, I'm spotty on A.J. Brown at wide receiver two and living up to those lofty expectations of being wide receiver two when you got DeAndre Hopkins and his target share. You got Tyree Kill and his target share. You got Stephon Diggs and his target share and all the work that these guys get. It's just so hard to live up to those expectations. That's the only reason I did kind of debate it. But, I mean, he, he's a stud. He's an animal. And you talked about the youth movement, also the yak movement. People love yards after catch. If you can create after the catch, people are drafting that all day, every day, 10 times a Sunday. So um, for me, I actually agree with you, Jim. I'm not going to name a fool's goal because there's just such tremendous value in this division. And there's so much turmoil and so much turnover happening that these guys could crush it or these guys can just face pink plant completely and be off the radar by the end of this season so it's so difficult to call it because of the situation and the flux the influx of it that's happening with the afc south what about you craig uh my goal is still going to be aj brown and 
the one thing I didn't mention before is, you know, you have him and Julio on the same team. So I can't wait till they just put Julio out wide and then they put A.J. Brown in the slot, like, right next to each other, and it's just, like, good luck. So it's just going to be <laughs> fun to watch. And then you got Derrick Henry, like, in the backfield. It's like, okay, are they going to run the ball or are they going to throw it, like, this side? Because you just know one of those things is going to happen. And you but. got you got Reynolds on the other outside. Like, I mean, let's not disrespect. Like, it's pretty hard to follow up A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. But he's not bad. He's a really good third option. Look at what he did in L.A. with the Rams. He's a really good third option. Yeah, he definitely had his moments for sure, especially later on in last year too. But I think my fool's goal is probably going to end up being D.J. Chart just because – like all these people have these lofty expectations because Trevor Lawrence is coming in. He had that wide receiver 18 season two years ago. But like I mentioned earlier, he wasn't even like that reliable in that year. You had the really good weeks and you had the really bad weeks. So it's just kind of up and down. And we've seen wide receivers like that come and go in the NFL level. You know, if he doesn't sit, latch on with Jacksonville, he what if he ends up in a worse situation where he's a wide receiver too? Or maybe he ends up in a situation where he's even a wide receiver three, and he just isn't that highly involved in the offense. There's just a lot of variables there, too. And you think if Jacksonville really wanted to keep him, they probably would have tried to lock him up by now, too, especially with the money that they had. Absolutely. No, I love it. Um, We're going to move into the tight ends. I just saw some breaking news that Xavier Howard officially requested a trade. That's pretty wild. Uh, out of Miami, that's pretty brutal. That would be a back-breaking move for their secondary to lose Howard, but just thought that would be cool to bring up and break here. Um, tight ends, we'll try and keep it brief because there's really only two tight end rooms we're talking about here. Um, the Texans, um, I know there are players who have to catch the ball. I did mention that with the whole in respect to the wide receiver position, but do any tight ends intrigue you at all? They ranked 24th in targets last season with Deshaun Watson throwing the ball. I made sure that was in brackets. Uh, they were 18th in fantasy points per game, but that's only because I think it was, or was it Atkins who has these ape-like arms that just snag down like ridiculous amounts of touchdowns. Um, but they... Um, with the 18th in fantasy points per game at the position, eight weeks producing 10 or less points from their tight end one. Craig, I'll let you go with this. I'm sure you have something, some sort of comment to make about a tight end there, but what do you think? Okay, so for that too, it was uh, Darren Fells who scored all the touchdowns. He's just that yes, big. Yes, yes, yes. foot seven, 275 pound, former basketball player. Slow as crap, but he always got open somehow. It's just like they forgot he wasn't a lineman or something. It was just weird. Like he'd always get open down the middle of the field. They're like, how? Because you know, like you watch him and you're like, he probably run like a five flat. I don't know what he actually ran. I don't even know if he ever ran the forty because you know he played international basketball before he played in the NFL. But I don't even know where the heck he ended up. But he was the touchdown monster that they relied on. He'd be that guy to get random two touchdown weeks. Or, you know, he get one catch for one yard. So he's gone, though. Jordan Akins is there. Obviously, people wanted to, like, hype him up for the longest time. He's just not good at football. He can't block. He drops a bunch of passes, most notably that Bears game where, you know, he blamed the sun that he didn't see the ball. But he's a guy you'd never want in your lineup because every time you start him, he doesn't do anything. You'll get the random, like, seven-catch week the week before, and then you just feel stupid that you started him. I think Brevin Jordan, who came in out of Miami, is pretty much the same player. So at that point, you know, it's like, why are you keeping Jordan Akins around? Because you just got a guy who's just as good and probably better at catching the ball at least. And neither one of them is particularly good at blocking. 
probably the one tight end that's probably their best overall tight end right now is Farrell Brown. He's more like a move tight end fullback, but he's their best blocking tight end. He's shown some flashes last year. He was starting to play the biggest amount of snap shares for the Texans last year until he got a concussion. Then he missed a week. Then he kind of came back. It was a little bit uh, limited, and then he kind of took over again there. They also brought in uh, Izzo from the Patriots, who's primarily known as a blocker as well. Played a bunch of snaps for them. Didn't have many targets at all. And then last but not least, you know, they got Khalil, or I can't even remember how to say his first name, Khalil Warren out of like San Diego State that they drafted a couple of years ago. Always been hurt. Can't block. Can't catch the ball. Same thing as Jordan Akins. So you're looking at some guys that can block and maybe Brevin Jordan. So if you're looking at Dynasty, Brevin Jordan's probably the one that you want. Farrell Brown's kind of that sleeper name, though, because he can block, he can catch, he can kind of do a little bit of everything. Coming out of Oregon, you know, he was a decent prospect at one point in time, but he went undrafted, kind of fell off the radar for a couple of years. But since he's been with the Texans, he's been a solid little player. Leave it to Coach Craig to make one of the most unsexy tight end rooms actually sound <laughs> interesting. <laughs> uh, Jim, do you want, have anything you want to add to this room before we move on? No. <laughs> Thank you. We'll move on to the Colts. The Colts are only intriguing for the fact that Carson Wentz loves his tight ends. The last three seasons, the Eagles saw Eagles tight ends ranked in the top three in targets, including two times as the most targeted group of tight ends. Colts tight ends ranked top 10 in fantasy production last season, although their number one tight end in six of the weeks, Trey Burton, is gone. The Colts tight ends are suddenly kind of intriguing with the arrival of Carson Wentz. Give me a one name that you would buy out of here because I think all of them are going outside the top 20, even maybe top 25. Uh, we'll start with you, Jim. Scott Fishbowl, I double tagged him with uh, the, the guy I forgot to mention earlier, Jack Doyle and Kylan Granson. It's just a muddied – It's a uh, he was my last pick in the Scott Fishbowl. It's a really muddled – tight end room you alluded to Carson Wentz seemingly liking the tight ends again he's never had wide receivers as talented as this on paper so I don't know if the tight end was just a factor of that because I mean he had great tight ends and Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard so mm-hmm. we're gonna see if he'd like the tight end or if he'd like the talent you know what I mean and yeah. um it's just open I like for the touchdown side man like I don't want a sound bite of this, but like Mo Cox, baby, like this guy is <laughs> um, he's big, he's bad, uh, he's a he's a end zone monster when it comes to a target. Uh, I could definitely see Wentz latching onto him because I don't really see if they're throwing the ball anybody that could really be their end zone target. That's a really big guy that you want to throw like a fade route to or just come across come across the middle, even like maybe get creative and do one of those like shovel passes like Pat Mahomes does to, to uh, Travis Kelsey there, right, when he, when he makes him emotion. We're going to see, man, because like I was always the guy that said like Carson Wentz likes the tight ends because the tight ends were the only viable option there to really be catching passes because I didn't really like Alshon Jeffrey. But <laughs> like I said, we're gonna I'm, I'm huge on, on Michael Pittman, so I'm going to see if it's the talent or if it was the position. And if, if Frank Reich has t- uh, tendencies too, right? So we're going to see. Love it, Jim. Craig, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, so I think for Dynasty, Kylan Grant is the one that you end up on. He was a converted wide receiver, 
which is important to note too. So his blocking's not quite up to par yet. He's still kind of like around that lighter side on the tight end, you know, maybe weighing in at 240 pounds, but he was that wide receiver at Rice. Then he transferred to SMU, kind of played that slot tight end a little bit in line, but not too much. Um, Going back to Carson Wentz, you know, I really dug into it. So when him and Frank Wright were together in 2016, 2017, through to the tight end, 31% in 2016. Um, 2017 was about 30%. And then I also put down the running backs too. So in the 2016, it was about 18% of so the running backs. It was 13% in 2017 that year that they did go to the Super Bowl, but Darren Sproles was hurt a bunch of that year too, who was kind of the main pass catching back. And then Jay Ajayi came in and he didn't really catch passes either. Um, so let's see. Then I went down to Carson Wentz since Frank Wright left and with the Colts in 2018, he threw to the tight end position about 34% of the time and the running back position about 17% of the time. 2019 was the real big spike one. He threw to the tight end position 36.5% of the time, but that's the year all their wide receivers were also hurt as well. So you had that massive, um, you know, the massive target share to Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. 2020 is about 28.4% to the tight end, at, but that's including Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts as well. And then 16% of the time to the running back position. Also going back to 2018, there was a couple of games of Nick Foles in there too, but it was literally the same pace as Carson Wentz that year too, where it was about mm-hmm. 12 targets a game to the tight end position. So that was pretty good. Um, in the years that Frank Wright has been with the Colts, with Andrew Luck, 26% of the time it went to the tight end, about 20% of the time to the running back position. 2019 with Jacoby Brissett, tight end position was about 27% of the time and 18% of the time to the running back. Uh, the real one that was different was last year with Philip Rivers. It was only 22% of the time to the tight end position and 24% of the time to the running back position. But, you know, Philip Rivers has kind of been known as that dump-off guy too. And I think that's a lot of where – you know, we talk about the Jonathan Taylor, his catch percentage, his targets. A lot of them came in those little dump offs from Philip Rivers and designed screen passes. So I think his receiving work could actually go down, even though people are kind of trying to hype him up, saying he's getting better in that aspect. Or at worst, it kind of stabilizes and his catch and his catch rate goes down because he's not getting all these two yard dump off passes from Philip Rivers. Carson mm-hmm. Wentz can move around a little bit, even if he kind of got a little bit scared about it last year. But, you know, if you get some of those design play actions, some of those design rollouts, that's really going to help him. So I think overall, from all those numbers, the tight end position, probably about 29 30% of the targets are going to go there. But then when you spread it out amongst all these three guys, it doesn't really amount to much because you got Jack Doyle, you got Mo Ali Cox, and you got Kylan Granson. I think Granson really slots into that role that Trey Burton played last year, kind of, you know, that move tight end, that slot tight end. He's a guy I'm really interested in if he ends up being kind of that slot more times than not. So maybe a Paris Campbell's hurt again. Maybe a T.Y. Hilton's hurt again. Um, there's definitely a potential there. But definitely for the future, he's the one I want. Just, you know, he's the youngest guy. We kind of know what Mo Cox is now. I know everybody on Twitter loves him. But, you know, we're in year five, and he, we're going into year five, I believe it is, for him. He's had, what, like two fantasy-relevant games in four years? And one of them was when Jack Doyle was out and he was great for DFS. But like at some point you're just kind of chasing a dream that's never going to be there. And I think a lot of times with these former basketball players that are tight ends in the NFL, everybody wants them to be Jimmy Graham, Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates. 
More often than not, they are not those guys. The Colts, you know, they chased it for a while before Mo Alleycox with a player named Eric Swoop, who played college basketball as well. Never turned him into anything. You know, I think the most mm. targets he had in a year was like 12. So more often than not, these guys do not pan out. But, you know, everybody's tracing their dream. And, you know, kind of that rookie hype guy was that Samias Reyes with the Washington football team, former basketball player playing abroad, coming over now. And you saw what just happened, you know, like today. They signed Logan Thomas for a three-year deal, so he's going to be dust too. Love it. Good, good quality information there. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I, I'm, I'm hoping we can make this short and sweet. Um, my, all I had in my notes was, uh, can it get any worse than the Texans conversation, which was actually a fairly <laughs> sexy conversation. <laughs> and then I put Tebow time with the praying hands. Does anybody want to add to this? Oh, man. Okay, first, I just want to say real quick, does anybody hope that Trevor Lawrence throws a pass, touchdown pass to uh, to Tebow just to see Buddy on Twitter have to put out like 25 Gs worth of fucking jerseys? That was nuts. Um, man, I don't think he – like, come on. Is he actually going to make the team, you think? I don't, I don't know what we're talking about here. This is a team that just has completely avoided the tight end situation and discussion altogether. Like it's almost not even a position. So, um, Craig, do you have anything you want to add to this? Okay, so here's the thing. I think Tebow actually makes this team just because he's going to sell tickets. He's from Jacksonville area. You know, he's this big-name player. You search Jacksonville Jaguars, and the first person to come up is Tim Tebow, not even Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> Like, if you just go search on Google, it's kind of funny. But um, for the tight end position, if he shows the ability to do anything pass-catching-wise in the in the tight end game, he has a chance just because literally all these other guys they have on their team are all blocking tight ends. James O'Shaughnessy, Tyler Davis, Chris Manhurts, who's another former basketball player who's, oddly enough, a good blocker but can't do anything in the receiving game. So, And then – Urban Myers by boy, Luke Farrell, who was at Ohio State, that's predominantly known as a blocker as well. They took him in the fifth round. He should have been undrafted free agent, but that's my little rant about that. None of these guys can do anything in the receiving game. They're all just blocking tight ends. Oh, and then they got Ben Elfson, too, who's just another blocking tight end. So if Tebow can do anything pass-catching-wise as a tight end, he could have some type of impact. Probably not for fantasy, probably not for dynasty. Hey, maybe you throw him in your lineup one week for DFS and you get lucky. Maybe that's that touchdown week. Maybe we all win a jersey. That's kind of the hope, the prayer, the dream. But at the end of the day, he's just there to help sell tickets. And, you know, this team's probably, you know, people are like, oh, they got Trevor Lawrence, so they're going to win like seven games now. No, they're going to win like four games. They're going to lose one of the games to the Texans because somebody has to lose to the Texans. And the Jaguars, as much as we want to, like, hype them up and say they're a lot better than they were last year, they were still one-win team last year. They're probably going to be a four-five-win team this year. And these tight ends, they just – all kind of suck but hey there's Debo, i guess love it best way to wrap that up um lastly we're gonna stop in tennessee um the no, Titans- he wasn't kidding it, like it's literally it's tebow i looked up jacksonville players tebow number one <laughs> trevor lawrence number two marvin jones was the third player i was like what is happening in duval that's fucking nuts <laughs> whoever has a name you gotta just have a name that's all it takes but yeah in tennessee they've had decent showings from tight ends over the last five years we've seen delaney walker we saw john new smith last season john new smith and delaney walker together have kind of been okay um, could Anthony Ferkser be next? I know that, you know, the hype was getting real, and then Julio Jones arrived, and the hype literally screeched a halt. 
The Titans' tight ends were targeted seventh most in 2020. Although this pace seems unsustainable given the look of the tight end depth chart, is there something there for Ferkser as a late value in such a volatile position where people are always looking for the next Logan Thomas or Robert Tanyan? He, his current ADP for Anthony Ferkser is tight end 25. I would like to point out that they did target the tight end position like 100 and I think it was 130 times last season. Despite the losses, you can't, there's only, I think it was seven teams that targeted the tight end less than 100 times. So let's be real. There's a decent amount of work still to go in the direction of Anthony Ferkser, despite people all over Twitter being like, where's the Anthony Ferkser truthers now? The tight end tar- position gets targeted a lot more than people think. The only team that really made it ugly last season, actually there was two of them. It was the Panthers and it was the Patriots. But please look at that situation. Far worse than Anthony Ferkser. Um, Craig, we'll start with you if you have anything to add to that situation. Yeah, it's not like I'm not particularly high on Anthony Ferkser. You know, a lot of his work did come out of the slot last year. He played 40% of the time there. Uh, I have him projected for about 76 targets, 53 catches, a little over 500 yards, four or five touchdowns. He, if he's going to produce for fantasy, he's going to have to make a mark in the red zone. Haven't really seen it out of him. He's had one touchdown all three years of his career so far. Uh, He did have seven red zone targets last year, though, you know, playing in that limited role. But we'll just see how that all shakes out. Um, You know, he kind of came on, you know, after Taylor Luan went down with an injury and John Smith was asked to block more. That so, are we going to have Jeff Swaim, you know, one of these other tight ends kind of block more and then he's going to break out that way? Or, you know, is it going to be one of those guys on the early downs blocking and then he's going to play that slot role, but then he's kind of competing, you know, with Josh Reynolds for some of those targets or being on the field in that position, even? So, I do have a lot of concerns with him. I feel like, you know, that range that you're buying him at now is not terrible. I think when it was getting really hyped up, it was kind of getting out of hand. I'm not sure exactly how he got, how high he got, but, you know, it's closer to like tight end 18. And, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of compare him to Mike Gesicki, kind of a little bit Gesicki light, where he's just going to really have to depend on those touchdowns, play that slot role. And if he can do that, maybe he has some value, but I'm just not buying into it myself personally. The other tight ends they do have on the roster, Jeff Swaim kind of alluded to him already. He's more of a blocking tight end. We've seen him with the Cowboys. We've seen him with the Jaguars. We saw him last year, even with the tight ends. He was kind of brought in midseason when they had all those COVID scares and all that stuff too. Um, But that's pretty much the role he's going to do. They have a couple of guys that they brought in as free agents too. Two of them are undrafted free agents. Uh, One's Burley Moore out of Kansas State. This is the guy I'm going to talk about a lot because – you know, everybody wants to call Robert Tunyon baby Kittle, but this guy is the real baby Kittle. Uh, so we'll talk about him a little bit more later. Mir- and then Mil- Miller Forrestal out of Alabama, more of a blocking tight end as well. Showed a little bit of chops in the receiving game. A guy that I like better than, you know, the guy we just talked about in Jacksonville with Luke Farrell. Maybe he makes the team, maybe he doesn't. Uh, then the last guy they do have is Jared Pickney out of Vanderbilt, I believe, he was with the Falcons a little bit last year. But he is the guy that is kind of famously, you know, the Patriots interviewed him, and they said he's just like a loser or whatever. I don't know if you guys remember that yeah, at I all. I love but... that. That's a confidence boost if I've <laughs> ever heard one. <laughs> this guy's a loser. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, what, he was the most fam- that's like the most famous thing about him. He's okay in college, but uh, nothing special there. But uh, going back to Burley Moore, Kansas State, I call him baby Kittle, you know, had a similar career path in college, 
to George Kittle, not like the most productive, pretty good after the catch, decent blocker. He started out his career at the University of Northern Iowa, kind of a special place in my heart. Obviously, David Johnson played there as well. We've seen some decent NFL players come from there. Uh, I actually went to college about 20 minutes away from there, so I'm pretty familiar with it. I live right across from the campus for a little bit, too, in my life. Uh, But, you know, you look at some of the measurables. He ran supposedly in the low four sixes at one point. Draft scout had him at four six six. George Kittle, you know, was in the four fives. The vertical jump was about the same. Broad jump, he was a little bit less than Kittle, but still pretty good for a tight end. Short shuttle, he was better than Kittle. Three cone, he was a little bit worse. He put up eight more reps on the bench press than George Kittle. And at the time of his pro day, he was six foot four, two hundred forty pounds. George Kittle, at the time of you know the combine, he's six four, two forty seven. Uh, Moore played a, closer to 250 during the season at Kansas State, and he really came on this year, you know, after that grad transfer over. But, you know, he's a guy that's very interesting to me, a guy that has that blocking ability, has that run after the catch ability. If he gets a role in this offense, not saying it's going to be this year, but maybe down the line, especially with the way they haven't really invested in this tight end position, he could have a future there if he gets the chance. So he's the guy that I'm kind of looking at because – he can do some of that stuff that Ferkser does, but he can also block at the same time. I like it. Definitely some quality info there. Jim, anything to add? Um, so I was a little bit intrigued with Ferkser, um, when he had a really high catch rate as a rookie, catching like almost everything, very limited role. Thought Delaney Walker would go out and they could maybe do some two tight end sets. And then a second year didn't really do much. Again, very limited role. I think he only had like 20 or 30 targets. It wasn't too much. Last year comes out, shows he can do it. But again, like where's the volume coming from this year? It was only because like coach said, Taylor Juan went down and it was a necessity because John o. Smith was there to, to end up blocking. That's a makeshift line. If you ever have to ask a tight end to be covering for Taylor Milan, like that's absolutely ridiculous. So I don't actually see him, see him having that much volume. 75, 75 uh, targets seems pretty high to me for him, but he does have a pretty good catch rate though. Like he's always like 60 or sorry, 75% catch rate, I think is, uh, is what he's usually showing. So it's, he's, what you're paying for him, it's nothing. You know what I mean? And, like, everyone wants to reach that Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas did shit in the NFL up until last year. Like, shit. He did nothing. He was nothing. He got, what, four teams or something like that before he ended up breaking out last year. Nothing against him. Congratulations, Logan. Get paid. That's awesome. But he's a 30-year-old tight end, so you do the math on when he came in, right, former quarterback. Um, He's cheap, and like we always say, after the far, after the top three, you know who they are. Um, you're just taking dart throws, so why not a dart throw on them? If you had them earlier on and you didn't cash out before Julio, I'm sorry because you could have could have made out like a bandit. And if you bought them before Julio came in, you got to hold them. You can't just you're not going to get the return on them. Definitely, no, completely agree. Um, so we'll quickly run the table on Golden Fools Gold. Uh, gold for me, I'm going to go with Anthony Ferkser. I think he's got the best opportunity for a workload. And, you know, as the one of the only people there in the tight end room that's going to get a workload, at least for this year and for the foreseeable future, um, unless Craig's sleeper pops out here at some point. Um, the, the fool's gold for me. Oh, man. I don't even know. It's such a mess of pro- tight ends who are probably just going to either land right around their ADP or just completely flop on my fool's golds tim tebow 
call it, I, whatever, go get your 25K or your shirts or whatever you want to get, but get that touchdown. But that's about all I see happening. Craig, go, go, go. Yeah, so I think that Tebow one's just good because it's just funny that he's even getting drafted in like some leagues. And I think even Scott Fishbowl, he got drafted in a couple leagues too. Um, I'll say one thing real quick too about Ferkser. You talked about the high catch rate. Last year among tight ends, he had the highest catchable target rate at 90.6%, which is just like unrealistic. Like that's bound to go down. Um, so I forgot yeah, to mention that when I was even talking, high. but that's just like ridiculous. Um, so he had like a lot of that short slot work too. So that definitely helped him out. Maybe his yards per catch go up a little bit more this year, but maybe that target and that catch rate goes down. Who knows? That's just something to watch out for as well. But for gold for me, I'll put it, you know, kind of three guys. Uh, Kylan Granson for the Colts. And this is all obviously for Dynasty. Uh, Brevin Jordan for the Texans if he does get a roll. Uh, and then my sleeper, Baby Kittle. Brilly Moore for the Tennessee Titans. And then Fool's Gold, I think, is just Ferkser because he's really the only one getting drafted. Uh, worth the crap. Uh, I'll throw Jordan Akins in that mix too because, like, you should not waste a pick on Jordan Akins. Three touchdowns in, like, three years. Like, 400 yards last year, but, like, he's just – like he shouldn't even make the team. Like there's no. Some reason. of us are still holding hope, Coach. Some <laughs> of us are still holding hope. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> as, funny as, as funny as it is, in this uh, episode, we talked about the two players in the NFL currently that both played in the Under Armour baseball game and the Under Armour football game. That's Jordan Akins and AJ Brown. Love it. Uh, great, good, good info. You just never know when that might come up as a question. Um, Jim, what about you for gold and uh, gold? Season long um, gold, it's uh, Jack Doyle. Dynasty, like Coach said, it's Kylan Granson. He's cheap. This guy I'm really intrigued in. Like the opportunities there for him to take over that tight end room, not this year, but maybe next year. And we all know when the tight ends, unless you're Kyle Pitts, that there's some sort of learning curve there that, that is good to be expected. For my fool's gold, it's got to be, and I'm sorry, Connor. It seems like me and Coach are just on the same level. It's 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 Ferkster, man, because he just costs too much. And again, after the top three, you might as well wait. You know what I mean? Like just just wait until like your last pick. Grab your grab your Kylan Grantons, grab your Jack Doyle, just like try to make it fit. Um, grab your Pat Fryermuth out of Pittsburgh. Apparently, he might have a large role. Different different uh, episode that was from last week didn't get to get in there with that one but yeah, <laughs> Pat Fire move. um yeah that's that's about it for me love it Jim love it this has been awesome guys uh, for all of you who stuck around for the hour and 40 minutes we love you and if not if you had to take it as a two-parter we still love you too uh thank you everyone for listening and watching and supporting us make sure you rate review like or subscribe wherever you listen to or watch uh, wherever you listen to podcasts or watch the streams, uh, make sure you follow Jim at Gold Jacket QBs on Twitter. Follow me at Connor Ten on Twitter, T E N, and make sure to give Craig a follow at Coach Craig Sport and check hit subscribe on his YouTube channel at Co or uh, Coach Craig Sports. Um, and otherwise, make sure you check out the True North Fantasy Football Crew. Lots coming. Five nights of content in season. So that is going to be awesome. And they're all starting to ramp up their work on Twitter at True North FFB, on Instagram, True North FFB, YouTube, TNFF Network, and on the old internet at uh, truenorthffb.com. 
And until next week, this has been a blast, guys. Next week, we're going to be talking AFC West. Um, So we will see you next Tuesday.